Praise the Lord, you guys. I've been working on a few messages lately. You know, I'm always juggling things, but uh, I was working on a message, a couple messages on spiritual growth. You remember that message I did a few weeks back on how we're the building of the Lord, and it starts with the foundation, and then, then there's the building itself, and then there's a roof, right? So I've been working on uh, those messages, and, and uh, it's, it's been a lot on my heart. And I was going to either preach one of those today, I've got a couple of those left it looks like, or a totally different message that I'd worked on a little bit. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to share with you the other message I was working on, which is called, uh, Do Not Be Deceived, or Don't Be Deceived. And because it relates to the spiritual growth. And one thing Paul talks about when he talks about spiritual growth in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, God gave some apostles, evangelists, uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. And one of the things he goes on to say there is that we'd no longer be like children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And it's interesting, he says that he doesn't want us to be like children that are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Children are much easier to deceive than adults. You have to make them very aware of their surroundings. You have to make sure they're close by when you're out because we live in a fallen, wicked, evil world, unfortunately. Well, the same is true spiritually, that children, those who are spiritual children, are more likely to be deceived than those who are mature in the Lord. Although you must make sure if you've been years in the Lord, like the Apostle Peter saying, I'll never deny you that you, ooh, and he did, uh, that you take heed, as Paul said, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So we all need to have our head on a swivel so we're not deceived. And maturity doesn't mean you are immune to any kind of deception because a mature believer can become lax in their walk. And the reason I titled this message, Don't Be Deceived, and I don't want to talk about one specific area. One of the things I noticed, and I mentioned this to you from time to time when I preach, is I noticed when I was a younger Christian, when I'd be reading the Bible, and I had the benefit as a young Christian of not being indoctrinated. I had, I had the benefit of just reading the Word of God. I didn't buy books by any authors yet. No, all I had was my Bible. I didn't listen to Christian radio at first. And then I was really shocked when I started hearing the word faith teachers on, I think it was KFSG back then, talking about God wants you to be rich and wealthy, and they'd just constantly talk about money. I'd be like, wait, I started to realize, wow, what's going on? But I would read in the scripture that there were a lot of deceptions. And, and one thing I was amazed about when I would read the word of God was that really floored me. And this is what I mentioned to you over and over again through the years is that every time I'd see a scripture that says, do not be ignorant to the church, it would be an area that the church is ignorant in. Now that would make sense when it was written, but at first it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me as a brand new Christian, pretty new Christian, that was in the word that 2,000 years later, the church was still deceived in these areas. I'd read scriptures that say, do not be deceived. And in the very areas that says, don't be deceived in, the church was deceived in. And it just amazed me, but didn't amaze me because also we're aware that Paul doesn't want us to be deceived because as Peter says, be sober, be vigilant for your adversary the devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, resist him steadfast in the faith, that we have an enemy that will attack us and deceive us in whatever areas he can. And therefore the Holy Spirit to combat those deceptions gives us various warnings about not being deceived in various areas. And since the, the church, by and large, is biblically, 
I'm sorry, it's true, illiterate for the most part. It's no wonder that the church is so deceived in the very areas that the scriptures say, don't be deceived. It's amazing that the church is very ignorant in the very areas where the Bible says, don't be ignorant. And I thought it very, very interesting as I continue to grow in the Lord that some of the groups that would focus on specific areas and their denominations or what have you were focused on a specific area of, and it, they were known for, for instance, in uh, the charismatic movement, the gift of tongues and the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that's their focus, would be sometimes the most deceived in those areas. And I'm like, well, they can't be totally biblically illiterate. I mean, there's only so many chapters in the Bible on, in, in the New Testament on the gifts of the Spirit, and they're not obeying them, not all of them, but many of them. And I consider myself a non-charismatic charismatic. Okay, I believe in the gifts, but I don't go with the flow of all that's popular out there, and we don't because there's so much strange stuff out there. So uh, it just amazed me. So when I get to those scriptures, sometimes I'll mention that, you know, that my own little testimony about how I was floored when I come to those scriptures and as I grew in the Lord, more and more I saw every time you see those scriptures, you better bet that's an area of the enemy's at work. And he's at work on the church because he wants to deceive us. So what I don't think I've ever done, though, in the 30 plus years I've pastored now, is taken those different verses all together in one message. Because you know me, <laughs> if I get into a passage, I like to, we like to just sometimes hone in on it and exegete it. And we're not going to be able to do that as much as I'd like to because I want to cover most of those passages, if not all the ones. I, I cover the ones that come to my heart and my mind. I literally was able to just write those scriptures down because they're always in my heart and my mind because it's, some, it's an area that's important to the Lord. And it should be important to us. Because Paul said, you know, he was concerned with the church of Corinth. He said to the church of Corinth that uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that he, was, he, he feared that after, you know, that they might believe a different gospel. He says, I, he, he looked at them as a chaste virgin that he wanted to present them as a chaste virgin to Christ. Believers. But, and I'll read it to you, and I usually quote it, but I want to read it to you. But I'm afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his trickery, your minds, this is verses 3 and 4 of chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians but I'm afraid as a serpent deceived Eve by his trickery, your minds will be led astray from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you tolerate, uh, this you tolerate very well. I'm concerned that you'll be dissuaded from your, your devotion to Christ. He's not talking about professing believers. He's talking about those who are devoted to Christ, obviously, that they would be deceived by a different Jesus, a different gospel, a different spirit. That's kind of broad. He's talking about a different Jesus. And there is definitely a different Jesus in the church today. You know, the name and claimant Jesus where he's like a genie, where you could become, become a little God and so forth. I mean, depending on what segment of the churches you look at, uh, you know, what, what uh, movement within what's called the church today. And he goes on to say in verse 13, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder for even Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is no surprising, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Wow. This is a huge concern. And the reason I mentioned that there's a broad swoop there is he talks about a different Jesus, a different, receiving a different spirit, 
receiving a different, believing in a different gospel? Is the gospel that Jesus wants us all to become gods and have the power of gods to create our own reality by naming it and claiming it? Is that what the gospel is? That's the gospel for millions of people. That's the popular gospel for years on the most popular so-called Christian network, Trinity Broadcast Network. I'm not saying the true gospel is never presented on that network, but often it's a false version of the gospel. There's a really good documentary that's been done. I think it came out a year or two ago. I think it was maybe last year or the year before called The American Gospel. Check that out. That really, I mean, write that down, The American Gospel. I mean, that's, it's, it's really powerful expose on the word faith movement. And uh, I think it would be good for you to check that out. It documents it. It plays a lot of the clips from those guys. There's a lot of good documentaries on it. A lot of people have exposed it. We've exposed it. Uh, we have things you can look at as well. But I think that's, that's a, that, that documentary that's fresh and new is really, really good. So some of these scriptures where it says not to be deceived. All of the ones that came to my mind. And, uh, and it's funny because I did, you know, after, you know, I, I typed in just be not deceived in quotes. And the verses I had all came up, you know. I was like, yeah. Uh, but uh, I also wrote some that say, do not be ignorant or don't be uninformed. And I always had to memorize in the King James, don't be ignorant, don't be ignorant. But in the NASB has, don't be uninformed. A little smoother, I guess. But uh, look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we'll only spend a few minutes here. If this sounds like themes I've talked about, you'll understand how... Uh, in this day and age of apostasy, when you look at Isaiah, when you look at Jeremiah, when you look at Ezekiel, when you look at the prophets, they spoke on certain topics for years. And they emphasized certain topics. Why? Because in the day and age that they lived, those topics need to be addressed. Because those were the topics that the Jews were being led astray in. Amen? Well, guess what? That's, if you look at what I preach, I preach and I, I cry out to God and that's what he's burned on my heart. And it just so happens, it seems to be the same topics that the New Testament writers were concerned about in the first century. Because there's nothing new under the sun, the Bible says. And that's why Paul could write 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I got to stick with my notes here. <laughs> I'm going off because I've got for like 14 pages of notes and we'll get, we'll get done on time. That's my goal. And if it's not my goal, I'm just kind of short. So I got an hour. But it's interesting when you think about this, uh, Paul said those things that were written in the Old Testament were written down as examples so we would not fall in the same way they fell. Amen. So we could draw a live line from what happened to the Jews in the wilderness and many that didn't make it into the kingdom, the promised land, and were destroyed to ourselves and say, okay, Paul said, you know, not to follow that example. Twice he said they're given as examples. But we're to be imitators of those who inherited the promises according to the author of Hebrews. Amen. Amen. So it's to look at the Hebrews Hall of Faith, you know, Abraham and Moses and others, you know, uh, who persevered in their faith. And it says they all died in the faith. Amen? Those are great examples. Now, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now, we ask you, brothers and sisters, regarding the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. This is addressing those regarding the coming of the Lord and our being What? gathered together to him. There is a rapture. Some people deny there is a rapture, but that's absolutely unbiblical. Uh, some say, well, the word rapture isn't in the Bible. And I always say, well, the word Bible isn't in the Bible. <laughs> but uh, the word harpazo is in the Bible. 
right? No, remember Jesus said no man will be able to snatch us out of his hand? That Greek word snatch is harpazo. When Jude says to snatch people out of the fire, that's what we're supposed to do as believers. That's harpazo. Paul says the dead in Christ will rise first, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, but we who are alive and remain will be harpazo, will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, snatched up. You can call it the great snatch if you want. I like to call it that sometimes. It's going to snatch us up. That's biblical. And we'll meet the Lord in the air. Now Paul says concerning that rapture, verse 2, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit, that would be a demon, or a message, that would be likely a prophetic utterance, or a letter as if from us. A letter that's either forgery or one of Paul's letters that's twisted to teach something he's not teaching regarding the rapture. Well, what's he concerned that we, what doesn't he want us to believe concerning the rapture? He says, don't be deceived by these three different means to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Okay? The King James has is at hand, as though it's imminent, you know, any moment, you know. Uh, and the term can be translated has come. Uh, the same Greek word is translated uh, in, what is it, Second Timothy chapter 3, in the last day, days, parable t- uh, t- perilous times, the King James has it, shall come. Uh, as it's, you know, like going to come, or it can be translated, has come. Or it can be translated, maybe it's best translated, has come to be at hand. Has come to be at hand. Now, we're not supposed to be shaken from our composure or disturbed either by spirit or message or letters from us, Paul says, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come or is at hand. No one is to deceive you in any way. No one is to what? deceive you in any way. King James, let no one deceive you in any way. I mean, don't let them deceive you by a prophetic utterance. This is from God. Christ's going to come any moment. Or, you know, this is, this is what Paul's letters teach. Or a demon. That would go with a, a prophetic utterance, some kind of message, right? No one is to deceive you in any way. Now, that's when I see, let not, don't be deceived in any way. Look at verse, look at what it goes on to say. No one is to deceive you in a way, for it will not come unless what happens? The apostasy comes first. And then what? Two, two, think, two things that have to happen. And the what? Man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Goes on to say, who sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So concerning Christ's coming to rapture us, to gather us up, don't let anyone deceive you by any means, right? By a spirit or, or a message or letters from us. For that day is not going to come. Don't be deceived. Okay, because it won't come until what happens first? Two events, the fallen away, okay, and what? The revelation of the Antichrist in the temple. When he sits, he goes on to deliberate that he'll sit in the temple of God showing himself that he's God. The temple hasn't been rebuilt yet, amen? Plus, Jesus gave us a great commission, right? Told the disciples the same thing Paul says here, and Paul gets this from Jesus, and he gets it from, of course, the Holy Spirit who's inspiring the letters, because Jesus gave us a very good outline as he spoke to the apostles themselves in Matthew chapter 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. In Matthew 24 and 25, they said, what will be the sign of your coming and, you know, and the end of the age? First he asked, when will these things be? Because Jesus said the whole temple would be destroyed, and it was not long after he said that, just a few decades later. And, and, and when will these things be, you know, uh, when will these things take place? And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And then he brings his apostles, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, according to Mark chapter 13, through the tribulation period. 
And he says, when you, talking to them, using a plural pronoun, see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, take off. Because he said no one knows the day and the hour. He wanted to let them know they need to be ready for his return. Amen? How do you think they understood that? Oh, he can't be talking to us. He must be talking to non-believing Jews after we're raptured. That's not how they would have understood it. And the church didn't understand that. And everybody understood that Matthew chapter 24, the Olivet Discourse, was to the church until the 1800s and the rise of John Darby. Got a whole video on it. No kidding. There's no debate on the timing of the rapture in the early church. This is historic theology, historic Christianity. The early church was post-trib but pre-millennial. And even, even those who don't believe in a literal millennium will admit the early church was premillennial. They'll also admit, of course, because there's, there's just a second coming. So we believe in the second coming just when the church, as the church has taught for years and years. And Paul specifically warns, don't be deceived on this issue. And then if you jump down to verse 7, you see that the Antichrist, the lawless, won't be destroyed when? By the Spirit of his mouth and the brightness of his coming. At his second coming. And by the way, if you go back to chapter 1, and I'm not going to go read all these texts because I want to go to the next, do not be deceived or be not ignorant. In chapter 1, right before this, Paul makes it very clear. He says the church will get its rest because they're going through persecution at Thessalonica. He says you'll get your rest. It's kind of interesting. The word rest, there's a noun in the Greek. He says you'll get your rest when the Lord Jesus Christ returns with his mighty angels in a secret rapture. No with his mighty angels in flaming fire. You'll get your rest from persecution. When he comes with his angels, mighty angels in flaming fire to take vengeance on those who, dwell, who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ in the day that he comes to be admired in his saints. Then he goes on to say, don't be deceived concerning the coming, timing of the coming because it's not going to come until after two events. Fallen away, Antichrist. Clear as day. And of course, this is where the church, much of the church is deceived today. Why would so many people want to believe it? You kidding I don't want to go through the great tribulation. I heard Tim LaHaye, the greatest purveyor of the pre-trib rapture in the last 20 years. He says, if we don't get raptured before the tribulation, it's no longer the blessed hope. It's the blasted hope. I'm sure he didn't say it like that, but you know. It's the blasted hope. Wow. And I've been on Jan Markell, you know, her program. We count these brothers and sisters in Christ, but we disagree. I've been on her program before, and I was, gonna, I was told I was going to be on her program more and more. And then when we came out with our video exposing the rapture, boom, cut off. And then uh, in our correspondence, she said, well, you said that Tim LaHaye said if we don't get rapture before pre rapture, we have the emails. It'll be a blasted hope. Tim LaHaye would never say that. Then we sent back documenting right where he said that. And now you know what she does? Goes around saying it's a blasted hope if we don't get a preacher rapture. No, no kidding. And I've got quote after quote after quote after quote from pre-tribber that's after pre-tribber that says if we have to go through the tribulation, then God's evil. God, God, God's not love. I give these quotes in a debate I had at the end of the debate uh, with Dr. Stoffer in Colorado when they asked me to debate as the climax to their big prophecy conference a few years ago. You can watch the debate online. Go to our Good Fight site. By the grace of God, we've seen many people become post-trib or, and, and, or, and solidified as a result of seeing that debate. There's a lot of clear scripture on it. But this is a concern because if you don't think you're going to go through the tribulation period, why did Jesus tell them they were going to go through tribulation? Why did he say to them that there were going to be, many would be killed and so forth? 
because he didn't want many to fall away. By the way, Paul said two events would happen first. What? The falling away and the Antichrist. What events did Jesus put before his return in Matthew 24? Many will fall away and the abomination of desolation will take place. And then what happens? Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will not be darkened, the, the moon will not give its light, the powers of heaven will be shaken, there will be a great sound of a trumpet, and he and his angels, he'll, he'll use his angels to gather up the elect from the four winds of heaven from one to the end of the other. Sunagoge, you know, same word Paul uses here for gathering, by the way, is that Jesus used. So it's very, very clear. And uh, I want to go on on that, man, and just emphasize be ready, but we've got to go to the next one. But I'll say this in parting. If you're not ready to face tribulation, Acts chapter 14, verse 22, Paul went around the churches teaching them what? That through many tribulations, to, he, encouraging them to continue in the faith and that through many tribulations, you must enter the kingdom of God. That sums up a lot of his ministry. It says what he was doing at the churches. Encouraging them to continue in the faith and that through many tribulations, you must enter the kingdom of God. Does that sound familiar? That's a lot like how I preach. Did Paul get that idea from me? No, I got that emphasis from them, okay? And that's not talking about necessarily the Great Tribulation, although it applies to it as well. But the point is, this is very important, because Jesus told them, I've said these things to you in advance. Matthew 24, 24, and 25. For false Christ and false prophets will arise, showing great signs and wonders, deceiving if possible, even the elect. Behold, I've warned you in advance. Then he warns if they get in the secret place. Don't believe it. Woo, now there's belief in a secret rapture. Pre-trib. Who'd have thought? But he says immediately after the trib is when it'll take place. So it's important to understand because guess what? This can't be the mark of the beast that I just took right now. I'm a good Christian. Because after all, we're not going to be here during the tribulation. That can't be the mark of the beast. You see that? Can that happen? And by the way, Tim LaHaye and Jenkins have taught that you can take the mark of the beast and if you have the seal of God on your forehead, you can't lose it. No kidding. Many other teachers have taught that. I love a lot of what John MacArthur says, but also I have to be honest, he also has, I've heard the audio that if you take the mark of the beast, you can repent later. Well, the Bible didn't teach that. The Bible says everyone who takes the mark of the beast will be damned. And by that time in history, at the end of the tribulation, near the end of the tribulation, with the bowls being poured out, it talks about the hearts will become so hardened uh, that they'll be blaspheming God and so forth. It's like Pharaoh. You know, they'll be digging their feet in the ground. And it says, anyone who takes the mark of the beast, they have no rest day and night forever and ever, and they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever, it says in the lake of fire. So this is serious, serious stuff. I have a whole list of different people that teach you could, te you could take the mark of the beast. And, and, and some say, like the guy that wrote, what was the, uh, the uh, was it the guy that wrote the Ragamuffin Gospel, I think, yeah. Uh, he teaches that the Lord will say, come now, you, you know, I think he says prostitutes, adulterers, those types of folks. And then... Uh, and those who've worshipped the beast, come into my kingdom now. Like, what? He's not even saying they repent. At least John MacArthur is saying they repent afterwards. I'm like, what in the world? And LaHaye's not even mentioning the word repentance. It's like, or Jenkins, we, got a, we did a screen grab of it when somebody asked that question. Well, if you have the seal of God in your forehead, you can't lose it, you know, if you take the mark of the beast. It's like, it's so unbiblical. So, it's a concern. You put the, the Paul says, you have to continue the faith, and through these tribulations, we enter the kingdom. Don't worry, we won't have to go through the great tribulation. You don't have to continue the faith. Everything's being reversed today. No wonder Paul says here, don't be deceived. Now, please go to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Now, the second coming, you can imagine God doesn't want, the Lord doesn't want us to be deceived about the second coming, right? 
I mean, not just what Paul said there, but four different times in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus warns about spiritual deception. Four different parts of that, that, that uh, Olivet Discourse. See to it that no one misleads you. False Christ, false prophets, and so forth. Many will fall away, he says at time. The one who endures the end will be saved. So obviously, that's an important topic and why Paul says don't be deceived as well. But what do you think the most important topic is? When you have a non-believer in mind, what's the most important topic for you? Their what? Their salvation. You sound like a chorus, man. We could just, you can sing it together. Salvation. Do we go up to them and say, you're either elect or not elect and you have no choice in it? No, we say you must what? Salvation is conditional. You must place your faith in the, must turn to Christ in faith. Amen. As Jesus said and the apostles said over and over, repent and believe the gospel. Put your trust in Jesus. That he died for you, he rose again, conquered death, but you must turn to him and put your trust in him to appropriate the benefits of what happened on the cross at Calvary, his finished work on the cross. And when you put your trust in him, you are not only positionally righteous, but he changes you from within as well. Amen. You're clothed in the righteousness of Christ and so forth. But that's the most important topic when you talk to non-believers. You know what the most important topic is when you talk to believers is? Salvation still. <laughs> because the Bible says the just, four times in the New Testament it quotes Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith. We live by faith now. Amen? The just shall live by faith. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31, it talks about those who turn from the faith and go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins because they've insulted the spirit of grace. They trample underfoot the blood of Christ by which they were sanctified. And the word sanctified in Hebrews chapter 10, and it says they were sanctified, is used in the context of salvation. Just read chapter 8, 9, and 10 in a row, and you'll see that sanctification is a result of not the cleansing of bulls and animals, but cleansing that comes through the blood of Christ and our position in Christ because of what he's done for us. But then it goes on to say, you have need of endurance that you might inherit the promises. Chapter 10, verse 36. And then verse 38 and 39, it says, uh, the just shall live by faith, the one who's justified. But if he, the justified one, draws back, my soul will have no pleasure in him. We're not, then he says, we're not of those who draw back to perdition. In other words, there are those who draw back to perdition. But we are of those who believe unto the saving of the soul, future salvation. I did a message last week where we looked at the word saved and in the Greek, it's used four or five times in the past tense, but overwhelmingly, it's used in the future tense. But the church doesn't think of it like that because we've been so programmed. I got saved, and, and we don't realize the New Testament puts more emphasis, he that endures the end will be saved. Paul, your salvation is nearer to you than when you first believed, amen? We're, we believe unto the saving of the soul. It's all over. He appeared the first time in reference to our sin, but the second time he'll appear in reference to our salvation, you see, over and over and over and over again. Because, but at the same time, we're saved already, amen? But the Bible has this already not yet tension, you know? And it's important that we uphold that tension in our theology. So when I'm talking to non-believers, I emphasize their salvation. When I'm talking to believers, I emphasize their salvation, amen? Because it's, it's vital. And that's why Paul, John, James, apostles emphasized uh, not being deceived in that area as well for believers. In fact, 1 John chapter 3 1 John chapter 3, verse 7. Little children, make sure no one what? Deceives you. 
okay, Lord, what are you saying through John? What area do you not want us to be deceived in? What area are you concerned about us in as a church? And this is heartbreaking because so much of the church is not here, guys. They're not. There's so many professing believers that are totally in rebellion to what I'm going to read right here. And it just is heartbreaking. Listen to this. I'm going to get emotional here because this breaks my heart. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Now, he's not talking simply about imputed righteousness here in our position. It's about what you practice. The one who practices sin is of who? The devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9, no one who is born of God, and in the Greek it's in the perfect tense, no one who's born of God and continues to stand born of God. No one who's born of God and continues to be born of God practices sin because his seed, his word, abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. For the one who does not love his brother, and it goes on, nor does the one who does not love his brother. So right now, I'm telling you, so many people have been taught that you don't even need to repent. You don't need to be a disciple. That's optional. You can accept Jesus as your Savior, but reject him as your Lord. You know, one of the questions we got, we had a question and answer. You can go look at it online. Many call-ins, questions that we did that'll actually, I think, I aired live. So I think it might, it's probably going to air this coming week on our podcast. A couple of the shows will be on this and a bunch of questions that we answered from our Patreons and so forth and others as well. Had a lot of people in the chat, you know, live chat, uh, we were talking. And one of the questions that came up was, do you need to repent? Because it's confusing the church. Jesus said, unless you repent, you all likewise perish. Amen? Jesus said, preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Matthew 20, Luke 24, 47 through 49 in that area regarding the Great Commission. It's part of the Great Commission. Peter said, God's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Amen? And the Bible talks about repentance unto life. It's, it's critical. And that is a turning away from rebellion against the Lord in your heart to him and put your faith in him. The good works and the fruit come as a result of the conversion experience. You don't clean yourself up and then God accepts you. So repentance isn't working hard and making yourself squeaky clean and saying, God, will you accept me now? That's a false teaching too. Repentance is a change of heart, a change of mind, metanoia, that leads to a change of lifestyle. But it is a change of heart, therefore it's not a work, whereby you humble yourself with the Lord and don't trust your works. God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Amen? So in your heart you say, Lord, and Jesus said, unless you become like a little child and humble yourself like a little child. He said, unless you humble yourself like a little child and be converted, you won't enter the kingdom of God. He said this to his own apostles in Matthew chapter 18. So we've got to be like little children recognizing we can do nothing. We're totally dependent on you. Children in those days, the meaning there is children didn't have any rights. So you're like, Lord, you're my Lord. You know, I turn to you in my heart. But you're turning your heart to him to put your trust in him to save you as a savior is not a work. Just like if you offered, you cooked a wonderful meal for the street person that you've been uh, trying to witness to and you just brought it to him and gave it to him. And he's like, thank you. He was going to eat out of the garbage can. He was gone, but he turned from the garbage can to accept the gift of your meal. So he turned, he repented from the garbage can and turned and took your meal and was so grateful. 
What would you think later if someone said, yeah, he really worked hard for that meal. He believes that he did it by works. No, that's not works. That's a gift, amen? So some try to get away from repentance and say, well, that would be good works. So we believe you don't have to repent. That's a lie. And a question came in uh, through the live chat, came, came in. Well, do you have to, you know, how come the gospel of John never mentions repentance? It never used the word repentance. That's a good question. But I point out in First John, in John, the Gospel of John, chapter three, it's very clear. Jesus talks about those. The condemnation is these. That talks about those who are condemned because they didn't believe in the only begotten Son of God. Verse eighteen, right after John three sixteen and seventeen, and then in verses nineteen and twenty, this condemnation that men love darkness rather than light. Right? It talks about how they refuse to come to the light lest their deeds be exposed. They don't want to turn from their wicked deeds. It's very clear. Repentance is in the Gospel of John. You don't have to use the word church to be addressing the church. You don't have to use the word repentance to describe repentance. In fact, Jesus said to, in John chapter, I believe it's 12, 34, 35, I said on air was that, you know, he talked about it, to become children of light. You need to, you know, to become children of light. He says to turn to the light and become children of light. Walk in the light while you have an opportunity to walk in the light. And by the way, I didn't mention John. I, afterwards, I thought, man, I should have mentioned this. Although my answers are sometimes a little bit long, so it's probably good that he didn't. But you know in John chapter 10, when it says, uh, no one can snatch us out of his hands, amen? It's a beautiful promise, harpazo. We have protection, amen? But that's not a willy-nilly promise. That's a conditional promise. And you know who it's directed to? Not people that made a sprint up to the altar call. It says, my sheep hear my voice. In the Greek, it's in the present tense. My, they hear and they keep hearing. They, they listen to me and they follow me. It's in the present tense again. And they, the Greek is, and I've seen it translated by Dale Moody, uh, keep on following me. And uh, that's what it is. It's, talking, it's in the present tense. So his sheep are the ones who keep listening to him and keep what? Following him. Amen. And you only follow him if you've what? Repented. Amen. So it's important to understand that. But right here, it talks about the, uh, those who are born of God and stand born of God that they don't practice sin. They don't, they're not in rebellion to God. Now, everyone here is my voice saying, oh, I've fallen short of God's glory. You read the, that passage and you're like, wait, I've sinned, you know, since I've been a believer. It's not what it's talking about. Notice it says practices righteousness, practices sin. And the reason the translation has practices is because the Greek is in the present tense. So they bring that out by, with the word practices. And by practicing sin, it means that you are doing your own thing in rebellion to God. But if you are in rebellion to God, right, you know, and you're living in an adulterous relationship or you're doing something like that, you're just continuing and you don't want to repent and you're, you've hardened your heart against the Lord, then it does apply to you. And then you need to come back to him if you've professed faith before, amen? You need to get right. It's serious stuff. And this is the area so much of the church is deceived in. There's whole theologies around that you can practice sin, that you can just accept Jesus Christ in your heart, but reject him as your Lord. And it's damning a lot of souls. So this is a very, very... Sh now, for anybody who thinks, well, no, some say, well, John's just, you know, if you even sin then, and they try to, they decide something, say, that even if, no, it's not if you just sin. John recognizes that they're, will be sin at times in believer's life. Go back to 1 John chapter 2. Chapter 1. What's he say? 1 John chapter 1. 
Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are what? Deceiving ourselves, the truth is not in us, verse 8. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Chapter 2, verse 1, my children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Yeah, he, is, does, he doesn't want to sin. Try not to sin, but don't just try, don't try in your own strength. You'll fall. But cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, empower me by your spirit and help me love you so much that I don't want to break your heart and give me the strength to walk in righteousness. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But look at this. And if anyone sins, we have what? A, a defense lawyer, an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Amen. We have an intercessor. He always makes an intercession, which shows you that future sin is still a reality, that we, we need an intercessor because there's sin that happens in the future and we need forgiveness. That's why if we walk in light as he's in light, we have fellowship one with another. The blood of Jesus Christ's son cleanses us from all sin. Amen. But look, if we walk in darkness, you know, it's not a good thing. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard of chapter 1, I'm sorry. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. Verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So a lot of people are lying and they, they, they have a relationship with the Lord, man. Oh, yeah, I have a, a communion with the Lord, relationship with him, fellowship with him but they're walking in sin and they're not confessing it. There are many people teaching that you don't have to confess your sin anymore. Joseph Prince, very popular uh, Korean pastor on Trinity and different networks, teaches that you don't need to confess your sin anymore because, oh, your future sin is already forgiven. Show me one verse that says that. I'll show you where Peter says, uh, that you can get to the point where you forget that you were saved or cleansed, he says, from your past sins, you know? But when you have future sins, present sins, you need to confess them and walk with the light so you have cleansing from those sins. Because Jesus talked about if you don't forgive others their sins, neither will your heavenly Father, what? Forgive you. He's talking to believers. And remember that one guy who forgave, who was forgiven 10,000 talents and then refused to forgive the other guy? Then Jesus said, neither do I forgive you now. The master he says, so will my father do to you, to Peter and the apostles, if you don't forgive your brother from your heart. This is a serious issue. And by the way, what I'm sharing with you right now was believed in the early church for the first centuries, you know, uh, and taught. It's right here in Scripture. So, the just shall live by faith. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. It's where it says, do not be deceived. God, do not be deceived. There it is again. Apostle Paul. And Paul is guarding his grace message because he spent five chapters almost warning about how you are not justified by keeping the law. And that's, that's another deception, okay? He spends five chapters because they're teaching you have to be circumcised. The Judaizers came into the church and says, you got to get hacked off. You have to be circumcised, males. Uh, you got to keep the law. Jesus, plus you have to keep the law of Moses. And Paul's called that a different gospel. He said in chapter 1, I marvel that you're so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ for another gospel, which is really not another, but we, if we, even Paul, or another, 
preach another gospel to you than that which we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned, cursed, anathema in the Greek. One translation say go to hell, says go to hell. It's basically what it means ultimately. And then Paul warns that they're trying to be justified by keeping the law. He says, stand fast in the freedom, chapter 5, verse 1, in the freedom where with Christ has set you free, and don't be entangled again uh, in the yoke of bondage. And he goes on to say, anybody who's trying to be justified by keeping the law has been severed from Christ and fallen from grace. Now, he's concerned at this point, when you get to chapter 5 and 6 later, he's concerned there's going to be someone, oh yeah, great, we're not under the law of Moses. Therefore, we can do whatever we want to do. And in chapter 5, verse 13, Paul says, Ooh, don't use your freedom as an opportunity to fulfill the flesh, though. Because he sees this pendulum swing the other way, and that's what happens. And that's why you have so many people, they see this, the people teaching the law, so they go to this extreme, cheap grace, easy believism teaching. Or they see easy believism is in cheap grace, and they go all the way to the extreme, oh, we've got to keep the law of Moses to be saved. Both are heresies. For right now, you have the, G, the Hebrew roots movement in the church where a lot of them are teaching you have to keep the law of Moses to be right with God. It's all over. So Paul addresses that. That's not a one that might be not deceived, but I'm in chapter Galatians, and that's a big deception. So antenna, deal with it. Now, chapter 5 and 6, he says, be not deceived. God is not mocked because he's concerned about this being licentious. By the way, at chapter 5, verse 13, where it says, don't use your freedom as a cloak, right, or a pretext for the flesh. Martin Luther, of all people, who's the father of the Protestant Reformation, he says Satan does, once we understand we're not justified by the works of the law, because he came out of Catholicism, Reformation, Satan stirs up within us this license, he says, to damn us that way by making us think we are free to do whatever we want. That's, I have his commentary in Galatians, and it's, it's pretty impressive. I didn't plan on even quoting him here, otherwise I would have brought the quote, but it's a bit long. It's pretty heavy. But Paul says in chapter 6, verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. He that sows to the flesh will the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap what? Eternal life. Eternal life is contrasted with corruption, which would be eternal damnation. Eternal uh, destruction in the lake of fire. And by destruction, I don't believe the scriptures mean cessation of existence. I believe the Bible does talk about an eternal hell. If there's any doctrine that I could find very clear scripture that denied that, I would believe it. Believe me, because I don't, it's a horrible thing to think of what people are going to have to go through who've rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. But I have to stick with the scripture. The scripture is clear. Especially Revelation 14, 9 through 12. No rest day and night forever and ever. So Paul says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. If you sow to the flesh, you'll from the flesh reap corruption. But if you sow to the spirit, from the Spirit, you reap eternal life. There are millions of professing Christians who are sown in the flesh and have been taught that they can sow to the flesh and once they've been saved, it's okay. They're not going to reap corruption. They're going to reap eternal life still. And by the way, eternal life is future there, isn't it? Reap eternal life. Even though, don't forget the tension, we've already, we already have eternal life too. You don't want to throw one or the other out. John says, uh, I've written these things that you may know, not only that you don't sin, but that you hear in 5.13, he says, he that, 512 says, he that has a son has a life. He that does not have the son does not have the life. Verse 13, he says, I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. We have eternal life right now, but it's still something we reap in the future in a greater, more qualitative dimension because we'll be with him who is the life, Jesus Christ. Amen. Reap eternal life. That means patience. That's why he says in verse 9, if you go to verse 9, 
Let no one become discouraged in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not what? Become weary. If. You circle that word if. Salvation is conditional. We've got to continue in the faith. And good works are the result of that. He's not saying do good to reap eternal life as work. But it's a consequence of true, genuine, abiding faith. If. There's 1,522 ifs in the Bible. That's the King James Version. I haven't counted them in the NASB. I tried to before. Okay. How? Every time, no. I go concordance and if. And it's there. <laughs> no. I've written them down. I've got them in my, one of my strong concordance. I have the number of ifs in the NASB. So I, I count the columns and then I add the columns. To, I count one column and then I add the columns together. There's a bunch of them, even more in the NASB than the King James. If is a big word. It's a, con- it's a condition. Amen. Remember, I grew up, my dad used to say, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He would always say that to my siblings. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm sure he said that more to me than any of them, all of them combined. Uh, But we reap what we sow if we do not grow weary. Don't grow weary. Wait, be patient. A dad took his daughter who had her piggy bank stuffed and had this money saved up, and he wanted to teach her the benefit of patience and interest and teach her a little financial lesson. So he took her down to the bank and sat her with a banker and they broke open that picky bank and put that money in the bank. And they were ready to leave and he was getting up but she was just sitting there. And the bank attendant's like, excuse me, do you need something else? And she said, I'm waiting for my interest. <laughs> you know? And her idea was you get it right away. You know? And that's not how patience works, right? We need to continue in the faith. Amen? Continue to trust Jesus. Amen. So this is very, very important. And chapter 5, if you go to chapter 5 of Galatians, Paul lets us know what it means to sow to the flesh and sow to the spirit. And chapter 5, verse 16, says, but I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So brothers and sisters, on a very practical level, if you want to make sure that you're sowing to the spirit, you need to walk by the spirit. In Galatians, it says, be led by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, okay? Uh, Live by the Spirit, it says. Ephesians 5 says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, amen? How do you walk by the Spirit? How are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Paul says, sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, right? He says, let the Word, in Colossians, he says, let the Word of God abide in you richly, amen? So you open your heart to God's Word, amen? You meditate on His Word, you seek Him in prayer, you, 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 you worship him, you praise him, you draw near to his throne room through, uh, you know, he calls us to draw near for, in time of need for, for grace in the book of Hebrews, amen? That's what worshipers do. As worshipers, we're pilgrims here, the Bible says. Hebrews, I love the, the, the picture of salvation in Hebrews. It shows how we're pilgrims and that we enter into his throne room through faith, amen? And we partake of his grace, amen? So you need to daily rely on the Lord's grace. Daily be seeking him, growing in him. And as you do these things, look what he says. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. You know how you overcome the flesh? Be busy in the power of the Spirit for God. Amen? Stay busy for Jesus, guys. Don't let him be your sidekick. Something you do, oh, on Sunday it's time to go to church, but otherwise I just live for myself. No, as many as are led by the Spirit, these are the children of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Which he also addresses this issue. Okay? In Romans 8, 12. He says, we're not dead to the flesh to live after the flesh. For ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. 
In the Greek, it's die and you shall die. But if you through the Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, to mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. As many as led by the Spirit of the children of God. So, brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian, you ought to be saying, God, use me to your glory. Use me by your Spirit. Help me stay in step with your Spirit. By, by, I, but I say, Paul says, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the desire of the flesh is against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another in order to keep you from doing whatever you ask. So there's a battle within. There's a battle between our flesh, the old man that wants to be resurrected and dominate your life with life-dominating sins, and the Holy Spirit who wants to empower you where Jesus is your Lord and Savior and your life is dominated by him and his will and not life-dominating sins in the flesh. There's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. That old illustration that a man had two dogs, one named flesh, one named spirit. Actually, the, the illustration is one's black and one's white. I don't like the illustration with the colors of the dogs. But one's, I'll name them life and spirit and for the sake of my little rendition of that. And which one beats the other one? And the man said, whichever one I feed more. And you need to feed your spirit, amen? But your spirit is not the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit lives in you. And when you draw on the strength of the Spirit, you feed on the Word of God, amen, you become stronger and you're walking in the Spirit because they're at war with each other. And if the Spirit wants, the flesh wants to dominate so you can't do God's will, but you can't give in to the flesh. And when you give in the flesh, you fall short of God's glory. And when you do that, these things are written that you don't sin, but if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, amen? Then you confess your sins and then he forgives you, amen? You get back up and you go forward. You make sin the exception. You try to avoid as much as possible, you don't, make it the, 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 you don't make living for God or going to fellowship or being with the Lord the exception because then you're dominated by the flesh. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. In other words, if you aren't following the new covenant and fo- being led by the Spirit, then you're under the law. You're just between, then you're under condemnation because you're not trusting Jesus. Verse 19, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envying, or envy, drunkenness, carousing, that would be partying, licentious partying, and things like these. He's not even done. Things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you. In other words, guess what? Paul would give these warnings periodically to the churches. Don't be deceived. Because people were changing his grace message. Should we go on in sin that grace may abound, Paul says, may it never be. Because he was being falsely slandered. He said that that's what he taught. No. But he recognized there were certain people that had crept in unaware who were turning the grace of God into a license for morality. Even people were twisting his teaching. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. He talked about certain people that were twisting his teaching. They're twisting his grace message. Even in that, so who were those folks? It's happening today, right now, even more so. Who are they? Is it the Jehovah Witnesses? No, it's people in the church. They've crept in unaware. But people don't want to talk about it. They don't even want to talk about it. You know why? Very few books or commentaries have been written on Second Peter, Jude. Those books are called the dark corner. One theologian called them the dark corner of the New Testament. Why are they hardly preached on? Because they contradict a lot of popular theology. That's why. Because there's a lot of people turning grace into a license. And they're like, oh, I'm staying. This book's about me. I feel uncomfortable. You know? Because guess who, who are they? They crept in unaware. They were accepted. 
they're accepted today. By the way, I gave a little heads up for those in Texas, and I can't wait to be with you guys. L- love love uh, uh, just the folks I've met already from Texas and Jacksons and others, and, and we love you guys. But I've, my two teachings, I'm going to do two, three teachings. I'm going to do a presentation called They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll that I've been doing for years uh, at a church there. But the two teachings I'm doing at Jackson's home, uh, I'm going to be going through Second Peter, chapter 1, 2, and 3, Lord willing. And... Uh, that dark corner of the New Testament. And it's a powerful book. And it, it's just like, whoa, it's really incredible. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. I've been working hard on that. Uh, so anyway, it's important that we understand that he says in verse 19, he goes through these deeds of the flesh. He says, I warn you, even as I warned you, I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things, there it is again, practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Not those who have fallen into those things and repented, but those who practice witchcraft, those who practice sexual immorality, those who practice these different things. But I'm practicing them. Then you need to repent. I can't. Yeah, you can. By the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can. God's not partial. He offers you the same grace he offers everybody else. There's no temptation that's taking you but that which is common to man, Paul says. And with the temptation, God also will give you a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. All you have to do is, in your heart, make a decision. There's not a real mystery as to why we sin. It's a decision we make in our hearts, and we're held accountable for it. You have to decide in your heart not to be in rebellion to the Lord anymore. You have to have a broken heart and say, I can't believe I'm doing this to God. You need to fear him, and the fear of the Lord leads to wisdom, and be wise, and wise up, and turn from a life of rebellion against him. If you're involved in pornography, you need to quit it. You need to stop. You need to walk in the Spirit so you don't fulfill the desires of the flesh. You need to be busy for the Lord. Amen? I just stay busy for the Lord. You know, I think in my Second Peter uh, st- study, I've studied Second Peter for years and years and years off and on. You know, I've studied that book more than just about any book, but I've never taught verse by verse to it in 30 years. Probably do that pretty soon, actually. I consulted over 20 different commentaries, Calvinist, non-Calvinist. I just like to see what everybody's saying. Just for this particular study, you know, I didn't have to because I have all these notes and things I've done on it because I want to be fresh and I want to see any, you know, uh, I like to see the new scholarship and so forth and what people are saying. But uh, I'm telling you right now, guys, this is a real battle. We need to make sure we're right with Jesus. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ, now this is important. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have what? Crucified the flesh with its passions, and desires. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, crucified, and it's in the aorist tense, the flesh with his passions and desires. When did they crucify the flesh with his passions and desires? When you first come to Jesus. Jesus says in, John, in Luke 9, 23, you can't be my disciples unless you do what? You deny yourselves, amen? That's denying your what? Flesh. Take up your cross daily, and follow me. That's why in John 10, when it's talking about his sheep following him, present tense, obviously they denied themselves, took up their crosses because they're following him. That's the only way you can follow him. So they repented. Some say, oh, Luke 9, 23, that's, that's discipleship. That has nothing to do with eternal life. You can be a savior and reject Jesus as your Lord. You don't have to follow him. Because Jesus said, but Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you need to take up your cross, or deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And for Almost 2,000 years, everybody understood that. I mean, you have to follow Jesus. That's what faith looks like. 
true faith. But in the last 50, 60 years, oh no, you don't really have to follow Jesus. You don't have to be a disciple. Just accept him as Savior. That verse has nothing to do with eternal life. You want to bet? The very next verse after that says, he that saves his life will lose it. He that loses his life will save it. He's talking about salvation there. And he's talking to his apostles who've been following him for a while up to that point, that they need to keep following him. So, but when you first take up your cross, right, and you begin to follow Jesus, you're a cross, man, you're executing self. Those who belong to Christ, we read in verse 24, have crucified the flesh with its affections and desires. If you're really a Christian, there came a point in your life in the past when you've taken up your cross. Right? And you're following Jesus. What now? Well, Paul says what? Don't be deceived. Right? God is not mocked. If you sow the flesh, the flesh will reap corruption. But if you sow the spirit from the spirit, will reap eternal life. If you don't grow weary. In other words, continue. Just continue in the faith. Continue denying self. Don't go back like the pig that was washed and cleansed to the pile of mud. Amen? Don't be the dog that gets rid of the poison and go back to the vomit, it says. Stick with Jesus. Amen? Stick with Jesus. Then in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit as well. So there's, there's living with the Spirit. There's following the Spirit there, which is great. There's walking in the Spirit. And there's an emphasis that way, meaning the Holy Spirit should be active in your life. Verse 26, let's not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. So if you're putting yourself above others and you're always, there's consternation in your heart about others and you're envying them and challenging them, man, you are, you know, in a, in a bad way, real bad way. You need to have your eyes on Jesus. You need to be praying for people, loving people, forgiving people. Amen? Not challenging them. He says, if you bite and devour one another, see to it that you're not consumed by each other. A few verses before we started reading there in chapter 5. So this is very important. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. And you can read verses 7 and 8, because 7 and 8 shows you he's talking to believers. Because he says, you're defrauding, don't, you're defrauding your brethren, don't defraud your brethren, you know? And then in verse 8, and then in verse 9 he says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? What's the next four words? Do not be deceived. Why do you think Paul keeps saying don't be deceived on this subject? Because already in the first century, and we know that because they were twisting his teaching, saying once you're saved, you can live like that. That's not Bible. And that's the most popular doctrine in the church today. I can tell you right now, I almost weep right now, okay? Because so many people, when they move to other places and other states and they've left the church because they go to another state and they, they call me over and over again. This is the predominant teaching out there, you know? The easy believism, wherever they go, you know, over and over and over again. John can't find a church, you're all teaching that, you know, once you're saved, nobody's living a holy life, you know, you don't have to. I'm like, come on, you can find, no, Joe, it's all over the place. I hear that over and over again. And it's not all the churches, we know that. And that's why I encourage you, keep praying, you know, seek the Lord, you hopefully, you know, the Lord will lead you eventually. And if you can't find a church that's teaching sound doctrine, and we're not talking about perfection, you know. None of us are perfect. We say, don't, if you go to church, a perfect church, don't go to it because you'll ruin it because you're not perfect, right? Okay, none of, us, none of our churches are perfect. But you want to find churches that are, are follow the Lord and they're not deceived in the areas, very areas the Lord says not to be deceived in, right? 
especially if the leadership's deceiving the people. <sighs> or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Oh, by the way, there are heavy theological, scholarly books out on just totally dismantling these, these passages. A, a scholar from England named Eaton, I have his book called No Condemnation. Nice, weighty book. And he says, well, these verses talk about inheriting eternal life. So all you do if you live a wicked life is you lose your inheritance. You still get in the kingdom, though. It's talking about inheriting the kingdom. You know how we know that's not, that's not true? I can show you. I don't have time to do it now because it just came to my mind. I wasn't going to bring this up. But uh, I can show you where Jesus talks about inheriting eternal life or the kingdom. And he uses it synonymously with the term entering the kingdom in the same teaching. Okay? I can show you in the passage we were just in. In, in Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 21, when Paul talks about, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Remember that? Inheriting the kingdom of God is synonymous with eternal life. How do we know that? Because we started in 6, 7, and 9. You'll reap, so the flesh, you'll reap corruption, but if you sow the spirit, you'll reap what? Eternal life. That's what he's talking about, folks. Don't be deceived. So there's so many people, now they've got to deal with, so they stay away from Jude and 2 Peter, 1 John, and they deal with, uh, by the way, no repentance in John? Read 1 John. Ooh, we just was there, man, right? But hey, guess what? They say, well, I mean, they got to deal with Paul because they're Pauline scholars. Then they get to his text where he warns about against their doctrine, and then they write books trying to explain away what he's saying. This is, this is rampant in the church. And maybe it's because I have my pulse, a lot of scholarship and what's going on out there, and I see what pastors are teaching and, what, and the fruit of those teachings in the church where the church, we have so many people claim to be Christians in America, but it's the most backslidden church in America for the, or in the world for the most part, or apostate, or false professing, all kinds of maladies, spiritually speaking, because wrong doctrine leads to wrong living. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor those who are habitu no, those habitually drunk, nor verbal abusers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Well, he's not talking to believers here, is he? Yeah, he's warning believers. Look at the very next verse. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. He's talking to genuine believers. Then he goes on to tell them, don't be joined together with a prostitute. You know, don't make the members of Christ the members of a prostitute. You've been bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. So believers have free will. We can go that route. Don't go that route. Don't be deceived. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. Well, you know what? Let's skip chapter 15 because that's on the resurrection. And I'm looking at the clock, and I want to make sure I get done in time. So I'm going to save that, and also, but I'm going to, we'll go to one more passage. But I also want to save, uh, not, it says not to be ignorant regarding Israel. Don't be uninformed. Don't be ignorant. And a lot of the church today, preterist, prophecies fulfilled, Hank Hanegraaff, God's done with Israel as a nation. You know, a lot of them support the Muslims over there now, cr professing Christian leaders over and against the nation of Israel. No kidding. Paul says he's not being informed about Israel's future, Romans 11. And talks, he talks about the to the Corinthians about not being deceived by bad company. The context is denying the resurrection. Don't have time to get into those today because I have like more pages on Israel than on any other verse I was going to go through. But I will go through Ephesians 5. Go to Ephesians 5. Well, we'll go through two more passages. We'll do it really quick because they're saying kind of what we've already been saying. 
So I don't need to go through a lot of exegesis. Ephesians chapter five, verse five, Paul says, for this you know with certainty, for this you know with certainty that no sexually immoral or impure or greedy person, which amounts to an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ, or in the kingdom of Christ and God. See that no one deceives you. There it is again. Gives a vice list like Galatians 5. Gives a vice list like 1 Corinthians 6. Gives a vice list here. And all three times he says, don't be deceived. See that no one deceives you with empty words, meaning false promises. Jude and Peter talk about them being like, you know, clouds that don't give rain. You know, it's just empty lies. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Yeah, he's warning believers. Now, they're not, we're not a point of wrath as long as we're trusting Jesus. The just shall live by faith. But what if we decide to go back with the non-believers and back to the vomit? Verse 7, therefore do not be what? Partners with them. He's warning believers. Look at verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. He's not talking about just professing Christians. He's talking about those who are the light of the Lord. That you can go back. Don't go back. And don't, because the wrath of God is poured out on people that live like this. Don't be partakers with those that are in darkness. Remember, uh, what is it? Revelation chapter 8, verses 4 and 5. God says, come out of her, my people, lest you partake of her sins and of her plagues. Her plagues are the last bowl judgment in concert with Christ's second coming wrath. <laughs> Don't go back. So a believer, his people can go back and become partakers of darkness and therefore the wrath of God because they're not really believers. Okay, at that point, right? So we, I believe very strongly, we believe very strongly in eternal security of the believer here. We believe very strongly in the eternal security. We are eternally secure. We, have, we believe in the eternal security of the believer. That's what the Bible teaches not the eternal security of the apostate. You understand the difference, right? A believer is one who's trusting Jesus. We're secure in Christ. No one can snatch us out of his hand. Neither height nor depth nor principality or power together. Creative thing is separated from the love of God, with, which is in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus and we're believers in Jesus, you're trusting him, you're in him. You're in good shape. You're secure. You drive home today, you're secure. You put your head in your pillow tonight, you're secure. You wake up, you're secure. We have eternal life. But if you're apostate and you're rebellion to Jesus, no, the Bible does not offer. That's a false security. So uh, go to James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. Perseverance. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. In the Greek, the crown is life. The life, eternal life is the crown. The crown which is life. You also have that in 1 John, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. You know what it says? Verses 9 through 11? <laughs> he says in 1 John, or it says Revelation chapter 2, verse 9 11. He talks about the church of Smyrna who's going through heavy persecution. The devil's going to cast you into prison for like 10 days. He says, be faithful until you reach the altar call? No. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He goes on to say, he that overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. That's the lake of fire. So the crown of life is contrasted with the lake of fire. It's talking about eternal life here. 
And here we read, therefore, ridding yourself, I'm sorry, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now he's going to contrast that life, watch, with death. No one is to say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it brings birth to sin. And sin, when it has run its course, brings forth death. Verse 16, do not what? Do not be deceived, my beloved what? Brothers and sisters, this is a warning to Christians again. Amen? So we have to be very, very concerned. Notice over and over again when we see not be deceived lately in like four, five texts, First John Right here in James chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 5 that we just saw, before that 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and before that Galatians chapter 5 and 6, five times we're told not to be deceived regarding salvation for the believer. And all time, five times we're not to go back to a life of sin. Does this mean if I sin just once? No, we've already dealt with that. It's talking about a life of sin, where you go astray into a life of sin. It brings death. He goes on to say, to receive the engrafted word in verse 21, which is able to save your souls. Again, future salvation. Even though we're already saved, there's a future aspect. And then he says, don't be doers or hearers the word only, but be doers the word. Don't be hearers only, deceiving your own selves. In the Greek, the word means auditor, right? I mean, it refers, I should say, to an auditor. Just like we have auditors today. Any of you audit classes, you don't get credit for them. You just go in here, but you don't have to really do the assignments. They had a kind of thing going on in those days too like that with people that would follow different teachers. They would just be called auditors. In the Greek, the word refers auditors. He said, don't be a hearer only. Well, it just audits a class and it's serious. Be a doer of the word, amen? Meaning actually follow the Lord. Follow the Lord, amen? Actually, ha, we have three things to cover next time. The resurrection, a little bit. Don't be deceived there. Chapter 14, verse 33. Israel. I don't want you to be ignorant about this mystery concerning Israel. And spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 1. Paul says he doesn't want to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Three areas. So this ended up being a two-part message. I praise the Lord for that. You know why? That means when I get home from Texas, that message is almost done. I've got to expand it now because it's only a few pages, but make it a little bigger because uh, I'm so busy lately, so that's a good thing. But uh, are you guys with me? Man, I've been looking at this thing in front of me. I got two minutes left. But then I look at my watch and that one up there, I'm like, it's 945. Okay, <laughs> can, can we all stand? We'll pass out the cup of bread. We'll